Rinkwide Vancouver. How sweet it is. The Canucks' newly formed Swedish connection combines for two goals and six points as the team comes home off the road and hands Detroit a 4-1 defeat at Rogers Arena. Jeff Patterson joined by David Quadrelli of Canucks Army and Canucks Convo. This is Rinkwide Vancouver, and we're coming to you from our studio in the lower lobby of the Wall Center Hotel, centrally located in the heart of it all, sports, games, theaters, restaurants, shopping, all just a short walk away. And whether you have people in from out of town or you're considering a staycation, make sure to consider the Wall Center. Well, Dave, I think this uh, Elias Lindholm trade is going to work out okay for the Vancouver Canucks. Second time already since the deal he scores twice. Elias Pettersson with three primary assists. Nils Hoaglander chips in with a helper as well. That line was going. The rest of the Canucks uh, fell in line. Penalty kill was terrific. And I don't know about you, but I, I feel like they need more games against the Detroit Red Wings. Like, this is fun stuff for the second time in a week. Give me a seven-game series between these two teams, Jeff. We know the only time that's ever going to happen <laughs> is if they meet in the Stanley Cup final, but give it to me. That's what I want to see. I want to see these two teams in a Stanley Cup final, and it felt like a playoff game tonight. It really did. Yeah, uh, I think you're probably laying the odds pretty long there to think that uh, these teams are going to hook up in the Stanley Cup final all the way the Canucks are going. They're doing their part here. They pick up their 37th win of the year, their 80th point. They are 37-12-6, which doesn't quite roll off the tongue, but maybe it should. We've been doing these after each and every game all season long. 37-12-6. They have 13 wins in their last 17 hockey games, 21 victories in their last 29 times out. Any way you break it down, it is remarkable. And... There was a little bit of talk leading into this one. Obviously, missing Dakota Joshua was one of the storylines, and we will touch on that as we go, but a little bit of heat on the top six, and particularly the guys that went to the All-Star game. Didn't have the best of road trips, but the Canucks have enough depth around them to get the job done. They go 3-1-1 one, and one on the road. They come home. Sometimes in the past, that first game back after a lengthy road trip has been an issue, but JT Miller gets the ball rolling with his 24th of the season, and then Pedersen sets up Lindholm, although Lindholm did most of the heavy lifting on his first of two on the night. The Canucks jump out to a 2-0 first period lead, so they get some of those guys that represented the organization at All-Star Weekend not that long ago. They hit the score sheet, and then, as we said, the penalty kill as well. I want to leave a lot of time to devote to the penalty kill, but uh, the league should know by now, Dave. You turn the puck over to JT Miller in scoring positions, guy's pretty good. He's going to make you pay. Just such a such a sweet release on his shot. And look, like that's the shot that they're always looking for on the power play, right? And if he can find it at even strength or, you know, coming down off the rush is another time he finds it. But just an absolute pizza thrown to him oh. by Jeff Petrie. I, honestly, Jeff, and I wrote this in instant reaction. I wrote like Lucas Spiza sees that pass and wonders how an NHL defenseman makes that turnover. I'm just thinking to myself, deep dish. Petri dish, work with me. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I, I don't know what Jeff Petri, like in real time, I'm seeing it all unfold from the press box and there's nobody there but JT Miller. And then as I watch the replay, like, what is he thinking? This is a veteran guy. The Red Wings count on him to do better than that. And we saw it the other day in Washington in the dying seconds overtime, puck on the stick of JT Miller to the back of the net. Give Brock Besser some credit too. I know he's not scoring right now, but does a nice job getting to the front of the net, and he's done that all season long, and sometimes those shots have hit him and gone in this time. He provides an effective screen, and so 
the Vancouver Canucks get the start that they're looking for. Uh, part of that road trip storyline was giving up early goals. Here, they open the scoring seven and a half minutes into the hockey game, and two minutes after that, Lindholm with an absolute rocket. You can say, hey, NHL goaltending shouldn't allow a shot from that distance, but Elias Lindholm uses the defender, Wallman, a name that certainly was uh, top of mind on Saturday and was in the middle of things in this one. But Lindholm uses the screen there and absolutely leans into the wrist shot. And Alex Lyon, I suppose, had some trouble picking it up uh, as it came off his defenseman and off the stick of Elias Lindholm. Whatever the case. I mean, this guy was brought in to produce offense in the top six. Uh, gets his third as a Canuck, his 12th of the season, and then added to that uh, in the third period off the rush, his second of the night. So he's had two two-goal games now for the Vancouver Canucks. Has four goals in six games Five points in six games, so not far off a point a game for Elias Lindholm, who is fitting in pretty seamlessly. And that trio with Patterson and Hoaglander uh, now looks like it's got a little momentum here. And Jeff, even going back to the last game where Elias Lindholm helped set up a Niels Hoaglander goal by having just solid body position, right? And, and we heard a lot about this guy's hockey IQ before he came to Vancouver. Really solid body position on that Hoaglander goal. His positioning on this one tonight as well. Uh, the third goal where Pedersen's coming down with Hoaglander on a two-on-one. Pedersen kind of bobbles the puck. If you go watch the replay... Elias Lindholm kind of stops up and backs up so that he's in a he's in a dangerous shooting position. And it's finding that those soft areas of the ice and being able to put yourself in positions to succeed uh, when you're in the offensive zone. And that's what caused that goal tonight, right? It was just, you know, maybe you didn't have the best chance before that, uh, you know, Patterson bobbling the puck, that is. But for, for Lindholm to find himself where he did on that goal, like that's a high ho hockey IQ play. And it was just something that I noticed about him. Look, this, this line seems like they're finding magic together. And it's three players that have very, very high hockey IQ, especially in the offensive zone. Yeah, because they're the guys that are out there on the Zadorov goal as well. And that was a big goal. Like it's two nothing for the Canucks. At times they were bending a little bit and you know, they saw firsthand on Saturday. The Red Wings came back from a 3-1 deficit, and they win on the penalty shot in overtime. Well, wouldn't you know, it's 3-1 going to the third period, and the Canucks take a couple of early penalties there. And so in the second period, midway through the second at 2-0, Zadorov with his first as a Canuck, his first since the middle of November, just his second of the season. And the shot from the left boards, uh, but Lindholm's in front. Nice screen there, not allowing uh, Alex Lyon to pick that one up as well. So... Yeah, that line had a night, and look, I, I've watched Elias Lindholm a long time in the National Hockey League, certainly in the games between the Canucks and Calgary, but it is different when he's wearing a Canuck uniform, his home debut, wearing the black skate, and we saw it on the road, but I saw it with my own two eyes as well in this hockey game. Just subtle things that, you know, we talk about his hockey IQ, and you just mentioned his hockey IQ. He does a terrific job of extending plays and keeping pucks alive, whether it's you know, just poking a puck to a teammate, you know, it's not a sexy play at all, but rather than allowing a Red Wing player to get their stick on it and clear the puck and, and clear the zone, you know, there were a couple of examples of it throughout this night where he just made a little heads-up play to either play the puck to a teammate or to into space so that a guy like Hoaglander could get to it and keep a play alive and allow the Canucks to continue to put the pressure on. I mean, he was their target. They paid a price. But they got their guy, and he has uh, already paid dividends. We saw it in his debut with the two power play goals in Carolina, the two goals here at home against the Detroit Red Wings. And so, uh, 
you know, for Elias Lindholm to have this early success, it's just a, a burden off him because we've seen a lot of times where guys get traded and, and maybe don't make that instant impact. And then they start to wonder, like, when's the offense going to come? I was, you know, they, they traded for me. They expect more. And for him to already have four goals after six games and, and to find a fit now with Pedersen and Hoaglander and, you know, Elias Pedersen, three primary assists. Not a dominant night, but another one of these where it's like, oh, yeah, he's in on three of the four goals. They're all primary assists, and he's up to 72 points. So he surged in front of JT Miller for the team lead. 72 points in 55 games, a 107-point pace. So, and he's basically been doing this all season long, but, you know, he's positioned himself nicely to exceed the 102 points that he had last season and in the contract year for him. Uh, He just wants to rack up as many points as he can, and so uh, nice to see uh, Elias Patterson finding some line mates because that's been a storyline all season long is that this guy's been producing, but has done it with a different cast and a rotating cast. And if they can settle on this line, uh, you know, the returns in the early going uh, certainly look impressive for the Vancouver Canucks. So uh, the Canucks, as we mentioned, their 37th win of the year, they're up to 80 points. They've won three in a row now after the the overtime loss to the Detroit Red Wings. They bounce back with wins over Washington and Chicago and here in this one uh, against the Detroit Red Wings. So 4-1-1 one, and one since the All-Star break. It's hard to argue with that. Thatcher Demko's 40th start of the season, and he gets to 30 wins before any other goaltender in the National Hockey League. He's made some highlight reel stops along the way. The save that he made on Daniel Sprong at 2-0 midway through that second period. Sprong comes out from the short side of the net. The puck comes to him, and Thatcher Demko spectacularly getting across the net. Uh, thought that was his save of the night. Follows it up, though, the save on Patrick Kane down low on one of those power plays that we talked about in the third period. And Thatcher Demko just looked big in the net, tracked the puck well. Red Wings outshoot the Canucks 14-5 in the third period, 27-21 on the night. And as he's done so often this season, Dave, Thatcher Demko, the backbone. And really, when you look at the goaltending at both ends, uh, was one of the differences for the Vancouver Canucks in this hockey game. 27 saves on 28 shots for Thatcher Demko. He was spectacular tonight. Uh, look, look, like you, you brought up one save and said, yeah, that's his save of the night. Uh, look, there's at least six, right? Like there's at least <laughs> six that you can point to and say, no, that was his save of the night. And we're not going to sit here and debate that all night long, but he was phenomenal tonight, Jeff. And he made saves, you know, when they needed him to. And also just when, you know, like the Red Wings could have gotten back into the game if it weren't for Demko on multiple occasions, I thought like, you know, it's not a backbreaking goal. If Detroit moves, moves the score within one or within two, but he didn't let them like he was the reason that Detroit never got back in this game. And yeah, you know, like you said, at the other end, obviously Alex Lyon, you brought up earlier. Uh, it's rare to see a, see an NHL goaltender get beat from that far out. Even more rare to see them get beat from that far out twice in a game, uh, because that's what we ended up seeing was two, two pretty long bombs make their way through traffic past Alex Lyon. But yes, as we've said so many times this year, advantage Canucks when it comes to the goaltending tonight. You know, he's been busier. He's been tested more, but man, he just looked sharp and dialed in. And, you know, he's started five of the six out of the All-Star break. And I would imagine that he's going to be the guy on Saturday against the Winnipeg Jets. He better be. I uh, better be Hellebuck and Demko in goal. I think people are expecting that in the first look of the season at the Winnipeg Jets. So uh, Thatcher Demko, you know, if that's uh, the tune-up for uh, a game against Winnipeg on Saturday, 
Uh, he looks dialed in and ready. Got a little help early. JT Comfer hit the post there at the end of the, the first power play of the night. Sharp angle, but still had some net to shoot at. And so uh, best friend of the goaltender comes through there. And JT Comfer scores the only Detroit goal. It sort of felt like maybe it was a matter of time for him on the night because uh, he hits the post on the power play. He gets behind Philip Aronik early in the second period, a partial breakaway, and Demko was there to stare him down and make the save. And then ultimately, you know, he swoops in on the loose puck there. Connor Garland can't quite fish it out. And uh, uh, I know that Canuck fans were upset. Uh, officiating certainly was a storyline through this game. And I don't want to spend too much on the officials themselves, but it put the Canucks uh, in a bit of a predicament in that they had to kill off five penalties. And there was no call on Quinn Hughes, who gets absolutely bounced out of the way by Christian Fisher on the confer goal. The only goal that the Detroit Red Wings score, and I'm not sure how there wasn't an interference call against Fisher on Quinn Hughes, but play was allowed to continue there. But <laughs> Quinn Hughes didn't go flying out of the play by himself. Basically gets tossed aside and play was allowed to continue there. And yet uh, Quinn Hughes gets called for a chop on uh, Lucas Raymond, uh, 16 seconds into the third period that, again, put the Canucks penalty killers back to work. But uh, I, I look at the Canucks penalty killing in the first period, Dave. Uh, Red Wings had the only two power plays of the opening 20 minutes. Pia Suter gets called for tripping a minute and 26 seconds into the hockey game. So, uh, you know, right off the bat, uh, Canucks are up against it. Ian Cole was called for tripping a little bit later on after the Canucks had taken that 2 nothing advantage. But the first period... Like the other night in Chicago, the Blackhawks took 19 and a half minutes to get a shot on goal. This is a better team than the Chicago Blackhawks. And with two power plays, Detroit had three shots in the opening 20 minutes. Canuck penalty killers led by your guy, and you have been at the front of the line on the Noah Juleson train here. He played almost eight minutes in the first period and was terrific. Had three block shots in the opening 20 minutes, was used a lot because uh, the Canucks kept going to the penalty box, but they put on a penalty killing clinic to keep the Detroit Red Wings without a shot on goal with the man advantage in the opening 20 minutes. And as I said, just three shots on goal through 20 minutes of play. Jeff, for Noah Juleson, we were hearing early in his career, at least we saw it on Twitter. I, I always chalked it up to being like, okay, come on, let's, let's be serious here. People throwing out the Chris Tanev comparisons, but my goodness, did he look like Chris Tanev tonight? He looked more like Luke Shen, if we're being completely honest. But <laughs> yeah. for Noah Juleson, you know, the stick position, the body positioning on the penalty kill, phenomenal. And that first period, arguably the best first period we've seen from, you know, anybody in the second half of the season, for sure. When it comes to Canuck defensemen, he was just so good in terms of, uh, you know, taking away anything Detroit was creating. He was good down low. He was getting his stick in the right spots. I was I was so impressed with him tonight and look it's just it's just a continued strong run of play and again I put it out there on Saturday that he was the Canucks third best defenseman I was met with a lot of vitriol but he's been playing well ever since I sent that tweet out I noticed it a little earlier than everybody else but I told you I texted you this tonight Jeff the world just wasn't ready for my truth <laughs> just yet but now it seems like they are well, when you look at the final stat sheet Philip Aronik led uh, all Canucks with 6 minutes and 3 seconds of shorthanded ice time Followed not that far behind by your guy, Noah Juleson, at five and a half minutes. So he came close to his season high. He finished at 17.36 on the night. And on a night where Cole took a penalty and Zadorov took a penalty and Quinn Hughes took a penalty, uh, there's three defensemen. And so obviously when they're in the penalty box, other guys have to step up. And Noah Juleson did that uh, 
Uh, Philip Hronick certainly did. Hronick led the Canucks in ice time on the night at 24 minutes and 8 seconds. And ultimately, you need your, your goaltender to be your best penalty killer. And we talked about the save on the back door on Patrick Kane down low. There were some other ones. But ultimately, I mean, a, just an absolute tip of the cap to the Canuck penalty killers. Detroit had 10 minutes of power play time in this hockey game and generated four shots on goal. Now, some of that's on the Red Wings, maybe looking for the perfect shot, but also I think it speaks to the Canucks doing a nice job holding their position, forcing the Wings to the outside, forcing them to move the puck. And when they got into shooting positions, didn't have much of a look because uh, Canucks were taking away time and space. So penalty kill's been getting better progressively, really, for the last couple of months. Since Christmas on, penalty kill has become a strength of this hockey club, and that's something that we just haven't been able to say for the last couple of seasons but this is a Detroit team that has uh, certainly some guys that can pull the trigger. And uh, the Canucks took care of that tonight. So a uh, penalty killing clinic, credit to the Vancouver Canucks, uh, a real strength of this team performance in a 4-1 win over the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, I mean, we haven't really talked about him other than I mentioned that he took the penalty, the interference call late in the first period. But Nikita Zadorov gets back in the lineup after uh, the two-game suspension for the hit on Lucas Raymond the other day and. Uh, Detroit said this morning that uh, guys did a good job without him, but uh, he hoped that they would be even better with him back in the lineup. He looked like a guy that wanted to make up for some lost time, uh, scores his first as a Canuck, as we mentioned. He's not here to score goals. You know, it wasn't his most physical night. In fact, he was credited with just one hit, but he's so much bigger than anybody on the Detroit Red Wings, <laughs> and I think he knows it in those sorts of situations that you know, as this game got a little bit greasy and there were a couple of scrums and, you know, he knows his role. And I thought he played it to a T in this hockey game. And so uh, as we work our way closer to the end of the regular season and into the playoffs, you know, this is where having a guy that's six foot six, 245 pounds who can play the game is going to be a benefit to the Vancouver Canucks that, you know, whether it was a little bit of bad blood over the gritty after the penalty shot goal the other day or retribution for his hit on Lucas Raymond. You know, I, there was feeling in the game on Saturday. I'm not surprised that there was a little bit more feeling in this hockey game, but I just don't think there's anything anybody on the Red Wings can do. Like Alex Dabrinkit probably learned his lesson that uh, <laughs> he shouldn't have fought Ian Cole the other day, but he's not going to fight Nikita Zadorov. There's nobody on the Detroit Red Wings. That's just a you know a role and a type of player that they do not have in their lineup. And I think Nikita Zadorov knows that and sort of exploited it today that you know he was able to kind of roam around and do what he does. And that's an asset that the Vancouver Canucks uh, certainly, I, I think it's the kind of thing that they they you know they want that type of player in their lineup. And there are going to be nights ahead here where he's going to be called on to continue to bring that physical force. Jeff, it would be a fun exercise to go through every NHL team and try to find who would be dumb enough to take on Nikita Zadorov. Like if, <laughs> if they have anybody on their roster that would be willing to take on Nikita Zadorov, I would definitely be looking at playoff teams, like potential playoff matchups and say, huh, do, do they have anybody? Because if tonight was a preview for the playoffs, then you're absolutely wanting Nikita Zadorov in your lineup for game one of the playoffs because he brought that kind of tenacity tonight. And look, you, you pointed out only one hit was, wasn't his most physical game, scored a goal. We weren't expecting that, but 
you know, in terms of the intimidation factor, hitting the gritty, that attitude, right? Like that's the kind of attitude you want when you're a top team in the NHL and Nikita Zadorov is bringing it for the Canucks right now being back from the suspension. I thought it was a great game for him. I, I thought he played really well tonight. You know, not just all, all the stuff that you see on the stat sheet and everything like that, but even just moving the puck. Like I think he struggled with that this year. Um, you know, his in-zone defending I thought was good as well. And uh, look, like this is a guy that's been in Rick Tockett's doghouse not all that long ago. So, you know, as much as we give him his flowers and say, oh yeah, he's so big, he's going to be great in the playoffs. Like you have to play well at five on five to earn your ice time in the playoffs. And look, I, I, I thought he played really well tonight. And the numbers back it up uh, at five on five. Uh, you know, he's got an individual course. He has 65 and a half percent. Canucks out shoot the Red Wings 10 to five. Uh, he's on the ice for one goal, his goal, and no goals against. So, uh, you know, it's a pretty solid night at the office. And there was a, a moment in the third period where there was one of those scrums. And look, the scrum has sort of been eliminated from hockey for the most part, but not when the Canucks and the Red Wings get together. But he's so much bigger than anybody else on the ice that I got to chuckle out of the fact that there was a scrum in front of Thatcher Demko, and he's pushing and shoving, and guys are jawing at him, but he's looking over top of the entire scrum, talking to the referee, complaining about something. But while that's going on, he's also got the business to take care of. Of Oh, yeah, he's got to like lay down the law here against the, a couple of the Red Wing players as well. So uh, he was multitasking. And again, there's just nothing. Like There, there really was nothing. Uh, kind of looked like big brother against little brothers uh, <laughs> out there. Again, a valuable commodity, certainly as they go down the stretch here. And, you know, even on Saturday night, I mean, the Winnipeg Jets can be a big, strong, physical team. And I think uh, a guy like Zadorov will have a role to play in those types of of games. Now, not a perfect game from the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, rarely are uh, games at the National Hockey League perfect. And if uh, we're going to pick at anything, I think it has to be the power play because Nils Hoaglander pays a price and draws a two-minute double minor, rather, on Petrie. It was a tough night for Jeff Petrie, but uh, the double minor for the high stick in the second period and where we gave the Canucks penalty kill props for not allowing many shots the Canucks had one shot on goal in four minutes of power play time. That was their only sequence on the power play on the night. Again, you're looking for this power play to be a difference maker. Uh, I thought way too much perimeter play, way too much passing. We see Rick Tockett wasting no time right now getting the second unit out there, and it's a different second unit. Uh, Nils Hoaglander getting the opportunity, obviously, because Dakota Joshua wasn't in the lineup. Um, but I, I'm not a huge fan of... Brock Besser set up as the right shot guy on the left half wall. He's had so much success at the net front this year. It just feels to me like they're forcing something that probably shouldn't be there. And if you're going to simplify it, like I don't know why you wouldn't go back to really what has worked so well. And so often that is Quinn Hughes at the top of the umbrella, JT Miller, you know, that downhill play attacking the net either to shoot the puck or we've seen him with the passes that have been redirected by Besser or... If the defense comes out to challenge Miller, that seam pass through to Elias Pedersen on the on the backside, it just presents so many options, and they go away from that, and I can't quite figure it out because uh, they win the hockey game, so it doesn't cost them in any way, but there will be some games here again before too long where you, know, you get that power play opportunity. You absolutely want to be able to break the game apart, and again, this continues on a little bit of a, a mini trend, if you will, from the road trip where power play just hasn't looked sharp. Jeff, I've talked to executives from around the league that have told me they think JT Miller is the most dangerous power play producer from that spot on the power play, like in the league. They think he's the most dangerous 
dangerous player from that position on the power play. I think he's the most dangerous. I pointed this out in the first segment, Jeff, like earlier, earlier in the show, him coming down toward the goaltender with the shot. Obviously we saw it on the Petri pizza, but him doing that, he, he has that great shot. But like you just said, when he's in that spot, there's so many different weapons that he has in his arsenal. So I absolutely agree with you there. And not only that, I just think you're kind of forcing it and you're lying to yourself if you think Brock Besser has some great one-timer or is a great one-time option. That's just never been Besser's game. He's a great goal scorer, but you know his one-timer's never been anything to write home about. So I just... I, I I was scratching my head. I understand maybe you want to get uh, some different looks on the power play, which is, hey, I was very happy to see Niels Huglander getting some power play time, but it, it did confuse me a little bit. I, I know the power play maybe hasn't been clicking as well as the Canucks would want it to lately, but yeah, just, I, I didn't think that was the, the move to make. And I, I feel like anytime they change up the power play, and that's the decision they make. I'm always like, okay, well, this is this isn't gonna last. Like you're changing it up, but we always end up seeing Miller back in that spot on the half wall. I think this is another instance where, yeah, we saw it tonight, and we're gonna see we're not gonna see it for very long. Yeah, they gotta get back to that again, get your rhythm, get into the groove, and then if you feel the need to change. And I I, I think you know, Motion has been a key component to the Vancouver Canucks power play success this year. So I'm not saying that you got to staple these guys into those positions, but if it's not going for you and it hasn't gone for them for a little while now, why wouldn't you go back to what has worked for you just to sort of reset and find your baseline? And to me, that is uh, JT Miller working his way uh, downhill from that left flank and, and good things seem to follow there again. Canucks didn't need power plays in this one. In fact, you can spin it that, hey, five on five, they outclassed the Detroit Red Wings, all the goals in this hockey game coming at even strength. So four five on five goals for the Vancouver Canucks in a 4-1 victory, their third straight win since their loss at Little Caesars Arena last weekend. The Canucks now 19-4-2 on home ice. I repeat, 19-4-2. I was looking historically earlier today. They had a 30-win season at home back in 2009-2010, the year before they went to the Stanley Cup Final. Uh, 30 is the high water mark. Well, they're sitting at 19 wins now with a whole lot of runway here. Uh, they still got 16 home games to go. So uh, this could turn out to be the best home season in Vancouver Canucks history. Uh, it's all there in front of them. You can only take them one at a time. They take care of the Detroit Red Wings. The Winnipeg Jets come in for uh, what should be a good one on Saturday. Uh, lots ahead here. We'll get to our three stars. We'll get to player and coach reaction. We'll hear from you, the listeners, as we dip into our feedback channels. We'll have a stat that stands out, and we'll talk a little bit more uh, about the story of the day, and that is that uh, Dakota Joshua out of the lineup in this hockey game, and it sounds like he won't play on Saturday as well beyond that. Uh, still a little bit of uncertainty about the extent of the injury suffered late in the game the other night in Chicago, but uh, the Canucks get by without uh, one of their biggest bodies and a guy that had one of his best games of the season the other night against the Chicago Blackhawks. 4-1, the Vancouver Canucks down the Detroit Red Wings. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. Couple of goals from Elias Lindholm. JT Miller gets his 24th of the season, and Nikita Zdorov with his first as a Canuck, second of the year. Canucks 4 1 winners over the Detroit Red Wings. It's Jeff and Dave with you. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. You've heard from us, and now we're going to hear from Rick Tockett. You'll also hear from Elias Lindholm. We'll get to the three stars 
coming up momentarily as well. All the post-game audio here on Rinkwide Vancouver, a presentation of Mr. Lube, 100% Canadian, pioneers of the no-appointment oil change. All their work is warranty-approved, and they're now providing tire service and sales with no appointment needed. 16 locations in the Lower Mainland for one near you. Go to MrLube.com. Rick Tockett asked uh, for his thoughts on the win over the Red Wings and uh, certainly pointed to the penalty killers and the work that they did as a key to the victory. Yeah, obviously, we took a lot of penalties. Uh, penalty was great. Obviously, Demmer, a couple of those unreal backdoor plays were phenomenal. For the most part, I like the effort. You know, it's a long road trip coming back. You know, the one-day turnaround, it's always scary. And I thought, for the most part, the effort was there for, uh, for the circumstances. Yeah, sounds like a happy enough coach there uh, points to the first game back, and that can be a challenge, and certainly over the years has been for Vancouver Canuck hockey teams, but uh, not this group. Uh, it's hard to find anything that uh, this group can't overcome. Uh, you don't get to the top of the standings with 80 points unless uh, you know you just mow down just about every obstacle in your way. And so first game back after a lengthy road trip, pff, big deal for, for this group of Vancouver Canucks. No kidding, Jeff. No kidding. <laughs> you look like I, I, I'm just I, I'm pondering the question in my head right now after hearing that from Rick Tockett. And I wish I wish I was in the building to ask him this. But, and he probably wouldn't give me an honest answer. But if we could put some truths here, I'm in. Right. And get an honest answer. Is Noah Juleson this team's best penalty killing defenseman? <laughs> and I don't mean to take the conversation away. It's on the penalty kill. It's on topic. Is Noah Juleson this team's best penalty killing defenseman? He has certainly emerged as a penalty-killing specialist. You know, Ian Cole's done a nice job. It was one of the reasons they went out and they got him the championship pedigree. But, you know, I mean, he played a key role on the Tampa penalty kill last year. This guy's been doing it for a while. Philip Heronik as well. Uh, so there are others, but uh, Noah Juleson more than holding his own right now. And, you know, if everybody kind of needs a specialty along the way, uh, that's his. And he has been a huge part of why the Canucks penalty kill has gone from such a massive weakness over the last couple of seasons into one of the strengths of this team over the last 20 or, or 25 games. Taka was asked about the temperature of the game going up a little bit and what he thought uh, of his team's response. Yeah, I just, you know, we hung in there. You know, like I said, you, you obviously don't want to get give the team that many penalties. I mean, it was uh, there was a lot of penalties they had to kill. But I, like I said, we hung in there. Denver was great. Got some timely goals. Lindholm actually had a, you know, super game for us. So, uh... You know, it was, it, was a, it was a game that, uh, you know, I'm sure people are like, hey, what, you know, coming from that long trip, how we would react. And I, I thought the, the guys did a really nice job. Got to give them a lot of credit. Well, he sounds like we did in that opening segment. Uh, too many penalties, but uh, when you got Thatcher Nemco in there doing his thing and uh, the penalty killers in front of him, uh, you know, you look at it uh, and try to put a positive spin on it. So, yeah, you don't want to be giving opponents five power plays, certainly not on home ice. Uh, there were a few that were pretty chintzy, I thought, in this hockey game. So uh, it's not like it was a you know out of control, lack of discipline on the part of the Vancouver Canucks. But uh, you put it in the hands of the officials, and sometimes they're going to make calls that go against you. But uh, on this night, the penalty killers stepping up and uh, Thatcher Demko uh, among the best of the bunch uh, in the non-Noah Juleson category. Of course, we put him in a separate. He's got his own sort of separate <laughs> category over there when we're talking about uh, key penalty killers for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Elias Lindholm, uh, his first look at Rogers Arena from the home perspective. Certainly has played in the building a number of times throughout his National Hockey League career. But uh, after joining the team at the All-Star break and then out on the road for five, uh, got a chance to suit up in the black skate. Uh, he looked good. They looked good. They've been next to unbeatable in that black skate. I think uh, the loss to New Jersey 
uh, in early December, the only time when they've worn the skate that uh, they've come up on the short end of the scoreboard. So it's almost an unfair advantage for them. But uh, Elias Lindholm, two goals in his Canuck debut in Carolina and two more here in his home debut. His thoughts on the night for the Vancouver Canucks. No, obviously it felt pretty, pretty good. Um, I thought that, uh, you know, our team played pretty well. Um, obviously a lot of uh, penalty killing, but, uh, uh, you know, we need a big save. Demer was uh, making some big stuff, stuff for us. But, uh, yeah, stay out of the box. And, and uh, other than that, I thought, uh, I thought we, we controlled the game pretty well. Yeah, kind of echoing what the coach said. Uh, you know, leaned a little too much on the penalty killers. He's one of them. Uh, but another area where he has contributed to the Vancouver Canucks' success. And so a good night for him and a good night all around uh, for this hockey club. This one might just work out. This acquisition, (laughs) it might just work out, Jeff. It might just work out for Elias Lindholm and the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Look, I I know we're going to talk about it in three stars, but I really wanted to focus a little bit more on Elias Lindholm. And I, I mentioned this earlier in the show that goal with Elias Pettersson where uh, Pettersson bobbles the puck and then Elias Lindholm finds it. I went back and watched the goal just to kind of gather my thoughts a little bit. And what I was trying to highlight and what I want to highlight right now is that when we talk about a winger combination that's finally working with Elias Pettersson, if Elias Lindholm doesn't make that play, we likely just see Elise Patterson bobble the puck and Elise Patterson throw the puck across the ice and nobody gets it. Maybe Detroit gets it and goes the other way. And that's what we think of the play. We don't sit there and say, oh, his winger should have stopped up or his winger should have known that he was going to bobble the puck and then slide across the ice. His winger should have stopped and gotten into a prime scoring position. But we do notice it when Elias Lindholm does things like that. So my point is when you make good plays with body positioning like that, You often notice them making the play, but if the player doesn't make the play, you don't usually notice that. So that was just something I wanted to point out was that, you know, for for as much flack as Elias Patterson's gotten, and of course, most of of it has gone toward his wingers, and rightfully so, um, you're really starting to see, I think, what what can happen when Elias Patterson is playing with wingers who just have the hockey IQ uh, similar to that he does. And Rick Tockett had said at the morning skate that uh, he wants to see Lindholm Get a little bit of a run at center ice here. So uh, I, I would imagine that uh, we'll continue to see that on Saturday against Winnipeg. And uh, he has to like what he saw in this one. Again, he says it's a bit of a hybrid and that, uh, you know, look, if Patterson's got to move to the middle at times, uh, I think they feel pretty comfortable with uh, Elias Patterson up and down the middle of the ice. But right now, the way that they lined up in this hockey game, Elias Lindholm was the center on that line with Patterson and Nils Hoaglander. Uh, again, our, all of our audio here on Rinkwide Vancouver is a presentation of Mr. Lube. Uh, let's roll right into the Rinkwide Vancouver three stars then. The three stars selected in the building. Elias Patterson gets the top nod. Uh, he was the first star, Thatcher Demko number two. And a tough crowd. You score two goals in your home debut and you're relegated to third star status. Not on Rinkwide Vancouver, you're not. They can do whatever they want there in the building. We've got our own selection process on Rinkwide Vancouver. So uh, same three players, but different order. I'm going Elias Lindholm. Yeah, Petey had three assists and we'll talk more about him. But three assists seems pretty routine and mundane. Uh, all things considered for Elias Patterson. Uh, for Lindholm, no nerves in the home debut. Uh, finds the score sheet twice, and again, I just love the release on that opening goal, and I like the play and the one that uh, you detailed there momentarily. So I've got Elias Lindholm as the first star. I'm going EP40 as the second star, and Thatcher Demko a strong third star. I like Demko's night a lot, 
but I think uh, those other two guys that combine for five points, they get the first and second star nods, and Demko has to fall in line here. So Elias Lindholm, Elias Pettersson, Thatcher Demko, the rink-wide Vancouver, three stars of this hockey game. I agree with you, but uh, make a case for Noah Juleson? No, I won't do that. <laughs> I won't do that. Uh, although, I don't know. I, I don't know if I, I can put Demko third star. I, I, might, I might have Pedersen third star, but for a guy who was selected first star in the building, it might be hard to do it. And like you said, five points between those two players, hard to not slot them in at one and two. But if there was a fourth star, it would be Noah Juleson tonight. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, a good night when you get the goaltending the Canucks did from Thatcher Demko. Uh, he's a massive advantage uh, almost every night out. And so uh, they got the edge and goal. Their star players rose to the challenge. And I thought a relatively quiet night uh, we mentioned the chance that Patrick Kane had on that third period power play, but didn't notice him an awful lot. I know he gets the assist on the JT Comfort goal. Alex Dabrinkit, uh, I thought, really quiet in this hockey game, still perhaps feeling the effects of the beatdown from Ian Cole the other day. Uh, whatever the case, I mean, the Red Wings have 10 guys in double digits, but uh, uh, didn't get uh, much in the way of scoring in this hockey game with just the one goal off the stick of JT Comfort. The Vancouver Canucks defeat the Detroit Red Wings they take three of four off the wings here over the week. That is it uh, for the season series. So we uh, won't see this Detroit team again until next season, unless uh, there is some sort of uh, wild collision course in the Stanley Cup final. Lots still ahead here on Rinkwide Vancouver. We're going to get to a stat that stands out. We'll get uh, listener feedback, and we will start to look ahead uh, at the game on Saturday night. A quick two-game homestand for the Vancouver Canucks, and then the bags are packed, and they're right back out on the road for three. But the bulk of the game's from here on out, are going to be played at Rogers Arena, including this one, 17 of the final 28 games in front of the home fans. And as we said, uh, Canucks really have had home ice advantage at 19-4-2, their home ice record after this win over the Detroit Red Wings, their third straight victory. 4-1, the final score. Jeff and Dave with you. You're listening to Rinkwide Vancouver. Vancouver Canucks take care of the Detroit Red Wings, 4-1. to one. Jeff and Dave with you here, rink-wide Vancouver. Going to get to the stat that stands out uh, in a moment, but we really haven't talked about Dakota Joshua and his absence, and they don't miss him. I mean, yes, they miss him, and they want him in there, but uh, didn't need uh, his performance from the other night in Chicago. Unable to go tonight, misses his second game of the season. It was that healthy scratch back in the 10-1 win in San Jose, different reasons here. And all Rick Tockett would say after the game was, won't play Saturday, still being evaluated. So I don't know if they know and they're not letting on or if there truly is uh, maybe some swelling that needs to go down. It certainly sounds like a hand injury suffered in the fight with McKenzie Entwistle. Uh, whatever the case, uh, remarkable. And this isn't the stat that stands out. But when I look back at uh, my notes, they had gone 25 games without an injury to anybody that plays in their top nine uh, of their forward group that uh, you have to go back to when Pia Suter rejoined the team after his lengthy, lengthy absence. Uh, he came back for the Roberto Luongo Ring of Honor night uh, against Florida in mid-December. And since then, now they've had different guys in the top nine because Kuzmenko's been in and out of the lineup and then got traded and Hoaglander's played up and down and Mikheyev. But uh, in terms of having the top nine that Rick Tockett wanted at his disposal on a given night, 25 straight games without an injury to anybody in that group. So pretty remarkable run in that regard. It was going to come to an end at some point. The hope has to be that it is shorter term 
that there isn't a broken bone here. Uh, again, we just don't know, but whatever the case, uh, you'd love to have Dakota Joshua on your lineup against a big, strong team like the Winnipeg Jets on Saturday, but uh, we found out after the game that that's just not going to happen for Joshua or the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, it's an opportunity that I think you'd really like to see Ilya Mikheyev just come grab, right? Like, like go out and grab the opportunity. Uh, look, Connor Garland, he's the driver of that line, but there's a prime opportunity for Ilya Mikheyev to just be a bit more like Dakota Joshua, to be a bit more like Niels Hoaglander. This is a guy who struggled this year. Uh, obviously, he had the late start thanks to the ACL injury that he suffered last season, but... Man, like it just it just feels like an opportunity for him to, you know, build some confidence so that when Joshua does come back, no matter where McKeon's playing, at least he can maybe then be an impact player. But uh, yeah, did, didn't didn't love what I saw from him tonight. So again, like you said, Canucks didn't miss Joshua too much, but uh, they they will miss him at some point here. Yeah, and I wonder for how long uh, will McKeon get that opportunity? Because I think you could. See- sort of suggest that a guy like Phil DiGiuseppe could step in and play the straight line game that you generally get from Dakota Joshua. I think Sam Lafferty could probably give you some sort of facsimile of Dakota Joshua. I didn't have an issue necessarily sort of challenging Ilya Mikheyev to play a slightly different role, but I didn't think he did an awful lot. That line uh, had one opportunity late in the second period where Garland came up from behind the net, had a chance, and then Bluger spun around on the rebound, and Mikheyev was fishing for a loose puck. But other than that, uh, really didn't notice an awful lot that that line did in this hockey game. So opportunity goes by the wayside for Ilya Mikheyev, and we'll see if he hangs on to that spot on that line that has been so good for the Vancouver Canucks. All right, stat that stands out. We threw these numbers out earlier, but... Uh, uh, I like big round numbers and uh, the Canucks uh, with a bunch of them. I mean, 80 points. That's a nice round number as they extend their lead. Uh, Boston lost at home to Seattle. So uh, the Canucks are uh, picking up ground on some of the other front runners around the National Hockey League. But uh, the stat that stands out for me in this hockey game, Thatcher Demko's 40th start of the year and his 30th win. He is 39 and one, not 39 and one, but 30 wins, nine losses, and one uh, OTL. So just remarkable uh, in terms of wins and losses for Thatcher Demko and obviously for the team that he plays for as well. But uh, those numbers jump off the page at me. 40 starts, 30 wins. Uh, that's getting it done for the Canucks' number one netminder. First NHL netminder to 30 wins. He's got the 10-game home winning streak. Uh, Joey Kenward tweeted this out. The Canucks record for consecutive home victories belongs to Roberto Luongo, who logged 11 wins from February 3rd to March 19th of 2009. So Demko has a chance to match that uh, if he gets the start on Saturday, which Jeff, you and I are both hoping he will get the chance to go toe to toe with Connor Hellebuck and tie that record. And look, anytime you're in the conversation where, you know, we're at the stage of the season where we start hearing uh, Thatcher Demko has done this record that hasn't been done since Roberto Luongo during the some of the best years this franchise has ever seen. You know you're in good company when you're starting to get mentioned uh, in the same breath as Roberto Luongo. 
Yeah, let's get into the listener feedback at Rinkwide Van. Lots of people uh, chiming in after this 4-1 victory over the Detroit Red Wings. Travis says, that was a fun, perfect payback game. Thought some of the calls were weak, but the PK looking strong. And Dave, you're going to like this part of this one. Juleson looking amazing with a capital A. Can't believe we have him next year still for seven hundred and seventy-five grand. And And it is sort of part of the story that has gone unnoticed because uh, so much focus on the here and now, but Noah Juleson's going to be around and is going to be part of the Canucks top six next year at that rate. Don't know how they'll go about building out the rest of their defense core uh, with guys in expiring deals, but uh, Noah Juleson is under contract for next year and absolutely uh, looks like a keeper. Scott says, love the battle, plenty of niggle, and the Canucks stood up getting excited about this season. Uh, is niggle a good thing? I guess it is. It's not a word that uh, I'm all that familiar with, to be perfectly honest with you. So, Scott, I'll take you uh, for your word and your word choice. Uh, Brian says, we're so unbelievably fortunate to be watching Quinn Hughes on a nightly basis. The plays he does, the speed he does them, it's like nothing we've ever seen from a D-man on the Canucks roster. And this is on a night where, you know, this wasn't anywhere close to him at his dynamic best, and yet... Uh, even on those types of nights, there are moments from Quinn Hughes that uh, I share your thoughts there, Brian. Um, you know, there are some times where, and I wrote about this at Canucks Army not that long ago, where like I hope people aren't just taking him for granted now. That, And I wrote about it after a night where he had three assists and he wasn't one of the stars of the game. And it was like, really? Like we've come to that point already, 300 and whatever it is, 38 games into his career that he can have three assists and can't even crack the the three stars because we just expect that of him. And he delivers so much more often than not. Um, there was one sequence there where he came close and I don't know how you feel about uh, your 20 goal prediction. Cause he's gone a little bit quiet on the goal scoring front again, uh, sitting at a dozen. There's still plenty of time here, but uh, he had one of those sequences where he started roaring around the offensive zone and got a pretty good shot away and um, I think went just over the crossbar. Sometimes it's hard to from the press box to the depth perception. But, uh, I mean, he, that's a move that we've seen him go to so many times this year and he's hit on it a bunch. But I, I'm all for everything Brian's saying there, that just remarkably fortunate to watch Quinn Hughes and the fact that he's under contract and the... The price point that he's at for the next bunch of years, uh, just sit back and enjoy the show because uh, the guy is incredible. Just a magician. He's a magician out there, Jeff. You just yep. see him with the puck and look like like when he slips up, literally and figuratively, like when he loses an edge, you're almost like, oh my gosh, I forgot that can happen. Like, yeah. I forgot I forgot that that can happen in this game because Quinn Hughes just makes it look so easy night in and night out. And like you said, are we starting to take him for granted? Yeah, maybe a little bit, especially when you pull up the uh, three assists, no three stars, uh, stars love in the building there. Justin says, surprising amount of feeling tonight. Games a week apart was a good thing, and they should do it more often for teams that don't play as often. Yeah, I just don't think you can slot East-West games home and away a week apart very often. I mean, on the matrix of the schedule, um, it's hard enough as it is, and then you're trying to capitalize on. Uh, and I, I've forgotten that Shorty mentioned last year they played home and home. Uh, that was a little bit of a quirk because you don't see that very often with an East-West thing, but it uh, wasn't quite Home and home, but uh, not that far off uh, two games in the same week. But it did pay off, and it was fun. And, yeah, it's nice to see some feeling in the building. And I just think, again, with the Canucks and their record and where they are in the standings, and now barely a week will go by where there isn't what we consider a featured game that, you know, Winnipeg's in this Saturday, Boston is in the following Saturday, the rematch there. 
Uh, Los Angeles Kings are coming to town for the first time. Uh, Vegas still has to come to town. Colorado. Like, it's going to get good. It's going to get really good. It's already been good, but I just think you're going to see that much more feeling and sort of these heavyweight clashes on a regular basis down the stretch. And so the fans and guys that talk about this game and this team for a living like us, uh, absolutely in our wheelhouse. Brian says Canucks are eight points up in the division now and six points on the league. And again, it is remarkable like for all that the Vancouver Canucks have done. And we mentioned the fact that Boston lost, Florida won, Dallas won. Boy, did Dallas win 9-2 in Nashville. Um, But the Canucks are six points up on the Panthers, the Bruins, and the Dallas Stars. So they have a six-point cushion. And all those teams have a game in hand, but it's not like they've got three or four games in hand. Canucks have played more hockey. And so at this time of the year, the flip side of that is, uh, you know, that's one less game the Canucks have to play down the stretch. And other teams are going to find themselves with these compressed schedules and then you look at, you know, within the division and starting to the way the wild card is shaping up as well. At the top of the Pacific Division, the Canucks at 80 points. They have opened a 12-point gap on the Vegas Golden Knights. The Golden Knights are at 68 points. Edmonton's at 63. Los Angeles won. They're at 60. The other thing that's interesting, too, after the results of this night is really for the first time, I think, all season, There's a little bit of separation now at the playoff bar in the West. Los Angeles and St. Louis are tied with 60 points. They're the two wildcard teams. And then there's a four-point drop to Nashville and Seattle. And, okay, so you say four points, but Los Angeles has three games in hand on both the Predators and the Kraken, and the Blues have a game in hand. So the gap may actually be wider than it appears to be. So maybe we're starting now to see uh, the playoff picture starting to come into a little bit more focus. I'm not writing off teams like the Kraken and the Nashville Predators, but man, how do the Predators bounce back from a 9-2 spanking on home ice to the Dallas Stars? Like if that's not a message to management there that uh, maybe it's not their year and maybe there ought to be a fire sale and the same goes for the Calgary Flames, Losing at home, getting embarrassed by the San Jose Sharks 6-3. to So be interesting to see in the light of day if uh, these results, this close to the trade deadline, you know, at some point there's going to be a tipping point and some of these teams are going to start to offload players. So will teams like Calgary and Nashville throw in the towel? I'm not sure that it's going to happen based on results on home ice, but uh, man, that's pretty disappointing to lose 9-2 if you're Nashville or 6-3. to if you are the Calgary Flames. Appreciate everybody that uh, took a moment to reach out via our uh, social channels at Rinkwide Van. Always like to incorporate your feedback into these uh, post-game podcasts. Vancouver Canucks, 4-1 winners over the Detroit Red Wings. Friday will be a rare practice day. They haven't had a lot of those uh, out on the road. And then, uh, as we mentioned, home for two and then back out on the road to Minnesota, Colorado, and into Seattle at the end of the three-game road trip next week. But uh, they get Winnipeg, their first look. It's wild that they haven't seen the Los Angeles Kings yet this year. That changes on the 29th of this month, but they haven't seen the Winnipeg Jets. They've got three left against the Winnipeg Jets. Kevin Chevaldayoff, their general manager, sitting along press row, uh, taking this game in firsthand uh, because the Jets are here for the Saturday showdown. And uh, the Winnipeg Jets have fallen on a little bit... I won't say hard times, but they have four wins in their last 10 games. Uh, beat San Jose 1-0, outplayed them badly, but beat the Sharks 1-0 in their most recent outing. Winnipeg with 69 points, so they are 11 back 
of the Vancouver Canucks in the uh, battle in the uh, Western Conference. Of course, they're in the Central Division, but uh, they got Connor Hellebuck, and uh, he and Demko want to horse race for the Vesna and Josh Morrissey, obviously a terrific defenseman. Then you, up front, they just made their move, and they get Sean Monahan and add him to a, a roster that has Mark Scheifele and Nikolai Ehlers and uh, others. Uh, this is a good Winnipeg team. That'll be a good test for the Canucks. Uh, should be a good night of hockey at Rogers Arena on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. And Jeff, I just want to tell you this and tell the listeners this. If the Canucks go 10 and 17 over their yep. final 27 games, they finish the season with 100 points. Yes. Who would have thought that? And, and, and further to that, they're now on pace for 119 points on the I season. I know. Which would be two better than the 2011 Vancouver Canucks. So I have to take the L here, and I will gladly do it. But when they lost to St. Louis, the following day, Sakaris and Price had a poll question because I think the Canucks were at 51 points at that stage of the season, but they were starting that seven-game road trip with a loss against St. Louis Blues. And their poll question was, will they be a 100-point team? And I remember thinking, it's going to get tougher in the second half. I'm not sure that they can keep up this pace that they've been on. They're going to see some of the best teams in the National Hockey League. They've got this tough road trip. Well, they go 5-1-1 one, and one on that road trip. I answered no to the poll question. I said that I thought that they would have a good second half, but they would come up just shy of the 100-point the mark. So looking pretty foolish as they sit here with 80. They're going to get to 100 and then some, as you said, they go 10-17, and 17 and they would still get to 100 points. Yeah, aware of the L there. They're going to be in triple digits without a doubt. It's just a question of how far can they push it and ultimately what will the total be? Because I, I just didn't see them winning, you know, 21 of 29. That's the stretch that they're in right now. So uh, I'll own that one, misread that one badly. The Vancouver Canucks are definitely going to be a 100 plus point hockey club. Uh, all right, uh, covered a lot of ground here on this episode. Uh, Dave, we appreciate it. Your help as always, and we look forward to uh, what you've got going at Canucks Army and also Canucks Conversations. Did I hear that there may be some <laughs> performative theater on uh, the next episode of uh, Canucks Convo? Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately <laughs> there will be, and it'll be all over Twitter. And for those that don't listen to the show, basically what happened was I was foolish enough to say that if there's any retribution on Jake Wallman tonight from the Canucks, or they target Jake Wallman for hitting the gritty, that I would do the gritty on the show. Now, I made that bet, and then I went home and started watching YouTube tutorials on how to do the gritty, and it's hard. Like, I can't do it at all, so I'm going to give it my best shot. Uh, do do maybe Mine will look a little more like what Nikita Zadorov busted out tonight, but uh, Twitter seemed to really like his, so maybe they'll really like mine. We'll see how it goes tomorrow. His is a pretty low bar to match because it was kind of a hybrid of the running man and the gritty. Um, <laughs> but the very fact that uh, well, he was willing to pull out the dance moves and why not? Uh, as we said, there was a little feeling in this hockey game. So well, that's what makes the game great. And hopefully we see more of that uh, in the days and, and weeks ahead. The Vancouver Canucks defeat the Detroit Red Wings for David Quadrelli. I'm Jeff Patterson. Uh, as always, thanks so much for listening to another edition of Rinkwide Vancouver.